0: Drag queens and beauty queens. We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform avoid the mystery of one-sided deals connect with FundWise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get it's easy use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business if you did hear me correctly i did say start or grow your business if you don't have a business yet but you got a solid business plan they can help you get funding get the best funding you can qualify for their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation they have hundreds of five-star reviews on google Trustpilot, and facebook and an a-plus rating with the better business bureau they provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash mindog. That's apply.funwise.com slash mindog. Get money for your business now fly.funwise.com slash minddog
1: Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog? give us the show!
0: Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. It's been quite a gay 24 hours, <laughs> folks. Uh, <laughs> last night, uh, my friend Craig Mitchell was on the program, uh, and Craig's a gay man, and he had mentioned to me um, the... Double standard well when he is with his straight friends and he he talks about meeting someone, how quickly his straight friends are, Hey, you don't have to get graphic about this stuff, <laughs> but uh it's okay for <laughs> for them uh straight friends to get really graphic about their encounters, sexual encounters or or whatever and i i i, I get that being a straight man i i i guilty of that myself uh and I confess to that, that I'm guilty of that myself, and also the fact that I'm really uncomfortable if a gay friend tells me that I'm attractive. <laughs> and but I do realize that I'm also uncomfortable, probably for different reasons, when a straight woman tells me I'm attractive, if it, not that that happens much <laughs> it happened once many many years ago i think anyway uh the point is um you know sometimes we have to question uh, where where these emotions where these feelings come from within ourselves and, and you know the reasons behind it and, and all that kind of stuff it's still i'm still on a path of uh discovering what makes me um, have some some prejudices and some things like that now i talked about pride this morning because this has been what they call Pride Month. June is what we people are calling Pride Month. And I said, you know, I am for, completely for equal rights for everybody, regardless of gender identification, sexual orientation, race, creed, any of that stuff, equal rights. I'm not a big fan of pride. I don't have any pride myself, and I don't wish it on anybody, to be honest with you. I think, and not for religious purposes, I think pride is one of the deadly sins for a good reason i think when we become prideful we become too full of ourselves and not not really um not really the best version of ourselves that we can be Um, but i'm not telling people they can't celebrate pride i'm just saying that's my feeling on pride which is why i have a difficult time with pride month it's just a word thing it's it's um Syntax, I guess I don't know what it is, but uh, so I I said some of these things, and man, have I gotten some really, <laughs> you know, uh, flaming hate mail, angry people calling me a homophobe and all that stuff, and I I admit, uh, openly that the idea of a, a gay friend, a male friend, telling me I'm uh, attractive does put me in a a very weird state of mind now is that homophobia i don't know i don't know my guest tonight has written a book called drag queens and beauty queens and the question came up this morning do drag queens even belong in the lgbtq i guess plus uh um community because you can be totally uh heterosexual and still be a drag queen i, I actually know two people that that fit that description so uh, i'm a little bit confused about all this stuff and hopefully i'm gonna learn some stuff to you tonight so uh laurie green is an associate professor of anthropology embodiment and gender studies at stockton university in atlantic city she is the founder and chair of the lgbtq youth safe force initiative and the and an advocate for the uh, local L, I don't know. I guess local in is Atlantic City LGBTQ community, ladies and gentlemen. Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in uh, Professor Laurie Green. Welcome.
2: Hi. Thanks for
0: having Hi. me. Uh, thank you for being here. Maybe you can uh, can can help uh, help me figure out the landscape here. Now, on the big one of the big questions this morning was do. Drag queens fit into the uh, LGBTQ. I can the community. Can I just say that? Because without having you, can you, you know.
2: can. you can call it the queer community.
0: So, because there are completely heterosexual people who are drag queens, are there not?
2: Yeah, there are. Before I tackle that question, though, if you'd let me, I'd like to tackle the pride question. Okay. Can I do that? Please. Um. So.
0: But let's come back to that one. We definitely
2: will. There's nothing I'm talking about more or that I have to talk more about than drag queens. Trust me.
1: Um,
2: So remember, Pride didn't start as a celebration like you see it today, right? It started as a riot because when Pride first started, it wasn't about a party. It was about, like, affirming your right to exist. Because at that time, you got arrested for being gay. I mean, that's what happened. So... What pride is really is about visibility. You know, it's saying we're here, whether you like it or not, and we're going to express that in the most exuberant and over the top and outlandish way to make the point that we exist and we, we're proud of who we are and we exist.
1: I so, think that point has been
0: it, made, so though, pretty, not, pretty clearly right yeah, now. <laughs>
2: it's not about um, being prideful. Um, you know, I had a, a similar discussion with a friend who was talking about well, we should have straight pride. I'm like, you don't need straight pride. You're allowed to exist. That has never been questioned. Right. So, no. so the idea of pride is really just about visibility because without visibility, you're invisible. And when you're invisible, you don't have a place at the table. And okay. that's really that's really what it's supposed to be about. Now okay. that doesn't mean that people, you know, young folks nowadays and maybe even older folks, you know, don't use it as an opportunity for party and don't know the history that that's a problem that I have. And that's the problem that I try to teach about, but certainly that's the, the origin of the idea of pride, you know, okay. to counter the shame, you know, it was just put in contrast to shame, which is what people felt then. So I know it might seem prideful, but it's really more about not shameful. Right,
0: I and I, I'm not telling people what they should do. I'm just saying that because you mentioned straight pride, I would tell all people, I would recommend any straight person not have any pride. I would recommend everybody not be as prideful as possible. You know. It's
2: just a celebration, but right. you know, we should all be proud of who we are. You know, okay. and everybody, but in yeah. terms of drag, um, I guess the best thing, way to start would be to define what a drag queen is, because I don't think that that's obvious, right? And by the way, I'm going to give you a definition, and and I'm uh, it is contested, you know, what we want to call a drag queen, but traditionally, a drag queen is someone that is a man that dresses up as a woman for the purpose of performance, and I make that point because a drag queen is not a crossdresser. A drag queen is not a transvestite, right? Um, A transgender person is not a drag queen. A transgender female is not a drag queen, right? A drag queen is a performer. It is a performance art. And because of that, frankly, nowadays it's evolved. It certainly started out as uh, something in the gay community. But nowadays, anybody can be a drag queen. A woman can be a drag queen. That's called a bio queen, right? A straight person can be a drag queen. It is a performance art. Right, which uses the female body to, to make a, a message about, a social message about our culture and our society. That's what a drag queen is.
0: Okay. So, now, has it evolved?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The history of, of drag goes back probably before, but I'll just say, let's say in the, in the West, in the United States, till about the 1920s. Um, you could argue beforehand as well. Um some of it started actually in the military, st- stories go. Uh, some accounts tell, because there were only men in the military, and when they wanted to do theater, um, the men would dress up as women, sort of like in the Shakespearean tradition. Um, and but they would play these in very ironic and, and uh more with more sarcasm than was done in um you know in Shakespearean times. But um over the course of you know, from then on, drag has evolved very much. And Probably the biggest influence on drag recently is RuPaul's Drag Race, which has very much changed what a drag queen is. It's made a drag queen very polished, um, have to look feminine or have to look real in some way or be over the top. And that certainly is is a pretty new tradition, by the way, in drag which really started out being, um, at least in amongst the, uh, in the queer community and LGBTQ plus community as being very uh, based on camp sensibility. And so again, camp, another term that's very hard to define, but it's certainly a gay sensibility is one in which you are, you show the irony, right. Is a coping mechanism where you show the irony of your, suffering, your stigma, by playing that out with humor. And that's a way to diminish, um, you know, your stigma is to find humor in your struggle. And that's what camp sensibility is based on. So the original drag queens, and still many today, um, were very much more campy. I mean, they would just make a dress out of anything, you know, like tin foil, and their hair would be messy. And there's no way you would think they were a woman, you know. Um, sort of like uh, how Phyllis Diller sort of did drag, you know, in that way where she would just come out and be a woman that she never was. That was just sort of, you know, a stereotype of a, a sort of a crazy woman, you know, that was unkempt. Right. So I would consider Phyllis Diller potentially to d- be doing drag in that sense.
0: So right, and, and, and I just want to point out that I grew up with, with Milton Berle and Phil Silvers doing go. that, right. and uh, I don't think it broke me as a person. I just want to—I just want to say because people <laughs> uh, this morning part of the conversation was keeping kids away from it, don't expose them to this, it's dangerous, and what. And I'll get to that. I want to get to that later, but I, I have something on my mind I'd like to articulate and see mm-hmm. if you can help me through it. Because sure. I was thinking about this is how messed up human beings are is. The initial purpose of clothing was to keep us warm and safe, right? And, and, you know, shoes to protect your feet, that kind of thing. And uh, somewhere along the line, we – and I don't know where this is because we decided that what kind of clothing you wear – it defines your sexuality or, or, or defines you as a person. Now I go back to the founding fathers of America wearing wigs and makeup and high heels constantly. And I'm thinking, you know, where did, cause I've always understood that drag is definitely performance, but this whole idea of clothing. And I go back to my childhood when women started wearing jeans and there was a big uproar over that. Like women aren't supposed to wear pants. That went away somehow. It, it the, the discussion somehow just faded into the dust a, at some point. And well, it, it, I'm, probably,
2: I'm probably a bit older than you are. And I was that was my era of, you know, you couldn't wear you wore jeans and it was awful, right? And that of course that's what we did in the seven early 70s was or sixties, was put on jeans and it was right. outrageous. But you've come to the right place because professor of embodiment here. Um, you know, clothing in all cultures, even Cultures that wear almost no clothing is very symbolic. And that means it always stands for something. It always expresses something. Sometimes it expresses the group you're a member of. Sometimes it expresses your kinship. You know, the, sometimes it, it could be, and it's not just clothing. It could be tattooing. It could be the way you wear your hair. It could be the way you, um, I mean, it, it, whether you wear clothing at all. It could be body paint. Um, cultures do it all different ways. But it always indicates Always, forever, clothing in human societies and the way we adorn our bodies has always indicated our status, whether that be male or female, whether that be our sexuality, whether that be our age, whether that be our membership in a group. Um, you know, nuns wear habits for a reason, right? It symbolize, and 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 priests wear frocks and collars for a reason. It symbolizes their marriage to the church, right? right. So, clothing and bodily adornment, hair, makeup, what we do with our teeth. Um, you know, how we, how we manipulate our bodies and all cultures manipulate their bodies, um, not just ours, um, you know, that's not a new thing. It's just different the way we do it now, right? It's always been symbolic. It's always indicated our identity.
1: Right.
2: So that's nothing new. Um, the rigidity with which we apply those rules may be what you're objecting to, you know? So why is it that women have to wear skirts and men have to wear pants, or now m- women can wear pants, but men can't wear skirts. That's a more complicated question that I'm happy to go into. But well, I'm cu- cu- more do- curious <laughs>
0: about how it, how it was okay 250 years ago for uh, Benjamin Franklin and 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 whoever all all those people in that era to wear makeup and not that I want to wear makeup and and high heels and wigs, but it was it was seen as just the way men of upper society yes. dress and now in, in today's world is you're either ex- accepting of that as people who live a different kind of lifestyle from from the uh, leave it to beaver lifestyle that i grew up on or uh you hate it and you're threatened well, by you
2: it know, cultures change you know styles or you, you see how styles change from year to year right so yeah. styles from the 1700s are, you know they're going to be different than the styles today, and in those days, women didn't wear makeup and didn't wear wigs. You know, it was the men that were dandies. That's what they called them, right? The ones that powdered and and put wigs on and had to have a perfect appearance. Um, you know, the women um, in Victorian times as well uh, were much more demure than the men were, right? So that's just style and culture change, and culture is always changing. It never stays still.
0: Does it change on a dime, though? Can cause I'm wondering, like, what was what was the point where we started to say, "No, you can't, you can't dress like that. Uh, you can't," you, you know?
2: I actually don't know the exact answer to that question. <laughs> the evolution of that, I'm sure, was fairly slow. But yeah. look at how it's just changed in our lifetime. I mean, um, as you said, you know, we used to have to wear suits and ties to school, right, in the '60s, in the early '60s, and you know, formal clothing basically to school. And, you know, nowadays you don't even have to wear that to work. All right? So styles do change. Culture does change. It does change in fits and starts or it can be gradual. There's no predicting it. There's no predicting culture change.
0: Now, when I was a kid, I'm sorry to keep going back to the past. But <laughs> when I when I was a kid, again, Milton Berle, I Phyllis Diller, I mean, she was a, a biological woman, so there was no real pushback. Uh, they should have. I wouldn't expect pushback against that, but Milton Berle did a lot of that kind of stuff. Flip Wilson did Geraldine. Mm-hmm. Nobody hated that, or was in, or or seemed to be threatened by it. But now we live in a a, a time where half half of at least America uh, looks at that as like that's poison. We can't we can't you can't laugh at that. You can't have you can't have a comedian like Flip Wilson on doing Geraldine in in this era. And it's, so it, that is part of cultural change too. But when did it, do well, you know-
2: I think that's just, it's to me, that's, to me, it's obvious what that is. I believe that's just homophobia. Once you start associating it with gay people, then it's no good anymore. Right? So when Flip Wilson and Phyllis Diller did it, they weren't gay. They were just right. being funny. You know, when, when people impersonated women and they weren't gay, they were just being funny, but gay men up there dressed like a woman. Now that's offensive. So okay. that just sounds like, I just think that's straight up homophobia.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Plain> uh, <simple.
2: laughs>
0: but, but would, uh, has it always been that prevalent? I mean, in like that, that I know, I know we've had some terrible things happen to people just because they, they were treated basically like lynched. And, and we have a lot of like atrocities like that, but it has it always been that big a divide. Like half the more than over half the country, I think feels threatened.
2: I think it's actually less than that. I think we're in a point now where actually, despite the kind of legislation you see trying to be put through the record numbers of what is over 500 this year anti-LGBTQ legislation that's being proposed across this country. Up until now, we haven't even had that much in total. Um, the majority, the vast majority of this country believes in same-sex marriage. They believe that you know queer people should have the same rights as other people. Um, our laws don't necessarily, as we see in the latest rulings, our laws don't necessarily reflect how people feel in this country. I should, I do, think I should give you that
0: access that, to my social media accounts yeah, and see the I hate. Will
2: that. That <laughs> visibility, right? People were hiding before. And when people come out and go, I'm here, other people get threatened. You know, and that can cause the pushback. As long as you stay in your place, we, right. we can tolerate you. But you're trying to be Who? You're trying to get the same rights I am then people who are homophobic push back. Right. That's what happens. Then
0: I remember the first time I heard the word the the phrase drag queens and it was from Boy George and he said uh he was accepting a Grammy I think it was and he said doesn't anybody love a good drag queen anymore and I like I that was a phrase I had to look up because I did not know <laughs> I was a young man and was was not familiar with the term. But it came up this morning because on my morning show, people were, again, uh, keep your kids away from that. There's this whole movement of uh, it's immoral to uh, expose your children. It's child abuse to expose your children. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not telling people what to do again. But I I brought up when you were growing up in the 80s, you were a small child when when Boy George uh, came out with Culture Club. Did that break you? Did it? Did it destroy your life? Did it? Did it make you gay? <laughs> that's what. That's what you, you're exactly worried it's going to
1: happen.
2: To make you gay, I got some news for you.
0: You're already <laughs> gay. I know. I know. <laughs> that's the point I was trying. To, but that caused a lot of hate. Well, maybe I mean,
2: that's what it's about. I don't know. I can't speak for those people. You know. I mean, to say that a performer that is teaching children literacy at a drag queen story hour. And I know some awesome people that do them. I'm going to shout out to my friend, Brittany Linnea Morrison, who's won a number of community awards in Philadelphia for her programming, as well as the people in New York City, so many good ones. Um, For those drag queens that are out there teaching kids literacy and people are attacking them, that's just absurd. I I mean, if you want to attack gay people, look for some nasty ones. There's plenty of nasty gay people. You know what I mean? But the ones that are doing good out there in our community, you should be thanking them. And yeah. so, to me, the only explanation for that is homophobia. Nobody is threatened by anything that... Nobody is threatened by this if they're not homophobic. I just... I do not see that as possibly being true. Hmm. Just don't. Okay.
0: All right. So, now, the book here, Drag Queens and Beauty Queens... Mm-hmm. It's easier to say when I'm looking right at it. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of about the uh, the... The line between the Miss America pageant and the Miss Deem, Miss America pageant, right? Uh, and it. I, I'm very popular. familiar. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the pageant that we have here. Uh, well, not here, but uh, part of Long Island Fire Island, which is part of Long Island. Every uh, Labor Day there, I believe it's a couple of days, three days of yeah. m- Miss yes. Fire Island. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now because you t- you were talking about femininity now i uh, and how that has become more a part of the drag queen performance i've not seen that cause i have a friend who goes every year and sends me pictures he goes okay. and and it, it seems uh, like a lot of a lot of men who are uh, performing in drag are 6 foot 5 or old, or taller and and don't really aren't looking like they're really trying to go all that femmy with it to they they're just there's still kind of what I what I grew up with like the obvious man in, in you know too much makeup on you know over it looks like a man put on your makeup so, <laughs> well, this,
2: this, brings, this brings us to the point I, I was talking about earlier on about the difference between a female impersonator a female uh, someone who's a transvestite or a crossdresser uh, someone who's a transgender woman or someone who's a drag queen a drag queen before RuPaul generally. A drag queen isn't trying to make you think they're a woman. (laughs) Okay. That is never happening. A drag queen is obviously not a woman. That's the performance. That's the joke. And I have to understand there's, has to be an understanding as part of the art form between the audience and the, and the performer, they know they're into the conceit. They understand that's a man up there that makes the performance have meaning. Okay, so a lot of people think there are people that, for example, believe that drag is misogynistic, you know, that it makes fun of women. Um, But I don't believe that. And and most people that know about drag don't believe that. What drag queens are doing, in fact, is critiquing masculinity and how narrow it is and how easy it is to upset men, as your examples pointed out, because I'm sure most of those people who didn't like drag queens were men when you them, when you point out to them how ridiculously narrow the roles for men are for example i can wear pants i can wear men's clothes and walk down the street and no one'll say anything but if you wear women's clothes you'll probably get beat up or people will stare at you make fun of you and that's because your life is so much more narrow in your range of behaviors than women's and this is what drag queens celebrate they celebrate i can wear heels I can wear a different wig every time. I can put different makeup on in a different dress. I can have boobs out to here in one dress. I can have nothing at all. And it doesn't matter. But if I'm a man, I have very little range and opportunity. And that role is completely restrictive for me. Yeah. And I've made fun for not fitting in. And this is how I'm pointing it out in my, in my presentation. So, yeah, I, I mean, a really a wonderful um, New York City drag queen. who was actually just on RuPaul a few seasons ago, Tina Burner. Um, she said it best to me once. Um, she said, look, nobody, nobody thinks I'm a woman. When I get in drag, I'm seven foot tall with my wig on. And if I get a (laughs) mic in my hand, people listen. And, And, you know, that's the power of it. There's a lot of power in doing drag and the men that do it, the, the gay men that do it, know that they, that's how sometimes their ability to access power in the gay community is by being an, an amazing drag queen. Um, mm. A lot, you're on you're on the front lines of that conversation. You're the person that straight people see when they come to the shows. It's a huge opportunity to be a voice for our community, and the good queens are a voice for uh, the queer community.
0: Interesting. Now, I play a party on the east end of Long Island every year where we have a female impersonator on uh, mm-hmm. doing, like, celebrities, either Cher or Diana Ross or mm-hmm. one of one of those very well-known diva-type uh, females. That's not a drag queen, or is it?
2: Well, they I don't know what they call themselves, but there are people who are female impersonators that are not drag queens. You know, they're actually... People that impersonate certain celebrities, for example, <laughs> um, my best friend Arlen is a prince impersonator. You know, wow. that's not, you know, that's not a drag queen. I have another friend, actually, Stephen, who's a Cher impersonator. He doesn't consider himself a drag queen. He's a impersonator, celebrity impersonator, right?
0: Um <laughs> This, yeah. this, I think, leads to uh, a degree of homophobia or whatever, however we want to label it. This uh, be feeling threatened by it because labels, I think, and you know, you say they don't consider themselves. And oh, God forbid I say the wrong thing, call them a drag queen if they don't consider themselves a drag queen. I'm, no, I'm not that. I'm this. Uh, now I'm like, I have to defend my right to be a human being and make a mistake.
1: Well, I'm <laughs>
2: What, what kind of language am I allowed to use on this show?
0: Yeah, anything you want.
2: Okay. <laughs> Only if they're assholes, right? <laughs> Regular people, I mean, just remember, there are people that aren't nice Yeah. in, in all communities, you know? You're I mean, right. you know, if you, if you misgender somebody that's trans, if they're, you know, and you did it honestly and you didn't know, they'll say to you, oh, I go by she, not he, you know, right. because they, they're not an asshole, right? But if you're deliberately misgendering them yeah
1: <laughs> they're gonna
2: yeah. tell you they're gonna tell you something so you know if you called a drag someone who considers herself a female impersonator drag queen they say oh no 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 i'm i'm a share impersonator you know unless they're not a you know they're not a nice person that's right. true. so we i get i get the um the hair trigger you know on feeling like you're going to be attacked but the truth is that you know, normal, regular people, most people don't do that. You know, we're just. We, in fact, I, you can. I always say to people, ask me anything. I've been on so many of these shows where literally I thought I was the first gay person they ever met. You well, know, in an interview, and
0: and they're approachable. <laughs> uh, if I might, if I might say, you know, because this, I think this plays part of my own homoph- homophobia is this. If I meet somebody for the first time, whether they're trans or or, or, I, or I find out they're gay before I know them, it, it takes a while to have a comfort level where I can be open and honest and talk about these things, and they know I'm not an asshole. Right? But Craig. my friend Craig, who, who was on the program last night, I've known him for several years now, and he knows me, knows I'm not an asshole, and mm-hmm. I, I feel comfortable in, in saying anything to him, and he can say anything to me. But that first encounter, or it could take a while to get that trust, comfort level. Where and now I'm on, I'm I'm walking on eggshells, trying not to be an asshole, and I look like more of an asshole than I you ever know, was.
1: It it's
2: <laughs> that you have, can see this in yourself makes me know you're not an asshole.
0: Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying I mean, not to I be not
2: Said that me. if somebody asked me a question honestly, I don't sincerely. I don't care how potentially embarrassing like for them that question is or how bad it sounds or whatever i appreciate it and i'm going to answer it you know um if it doesn't come like that i might take a different position but you know it's easy for us when we have our friends because we don't we don't think of them first as a gay person that's just your friend charles or whatever i forget what you said his name was right that's just right. your friend his secondary identity is that he's gay so you don't relate to him as a gay person you relate to him as charles because you know him, right.
1: right. That,
2: that's called breaking through in sociology. That's like, I actually get to know you and you cease to be this singular identity for which I'm supposed to judge you, which is so surface and narrow and isn't you. Right. Um, But also, you know, when we have friends that are gay, sometimes we think, Oh, I can't be homophobic because I have gay friends. And that's just not true. I uh, mean, yeah. racism, you know, that's just called exceptionalism. When I get to know somebody, they're no longer that person. They're, again, Charles, they're not gay people. They're not like other gay people, you know? Yeah. So, I mean,
0: I to don't At that know point, I, like- ha- I have people in my life who have several black friends who are total, complete racists.
1: Yeah. Look, <laughs>
2: we're all, we're all, look at the country we live in, right? And it's hard to get, you know, to free ourselves from that, it, n- even if it's just a niggling thing, right, in the back of our heads, you know, we stigmatize not just gay people and black people, people with disabilities, people. Right. We're uncomfortable around all those people. That's called stigma. When you're uncomfortable in conversation, when it's not natural, you know, there's a stigma in the room. It's the white elephant in the room, you know? So, yeah. and you're, but I want to assure you, you're normal. Everybody struggles with this. And for me, the best way to get through it is just to remember that's just a person, you know, in my head. That's just a person like me. You know, they have their own three ring circus going on in their lives. They have their own struggles. And, you know, it's not that we should all get along or whatever, it's not never that simple, but I'm just gonna try to think of that, treat that person just like a person. You know, just like I always say, cause I work with bodies all day. I treat everybody just like a body, you know? And it doesn't <laughs> matter to me if they're tall or short or fat or thin or pretty or ugly or you know it it, it black or white it, it, to me it's a body for my purposes of interacting you know and and but then that's the core you know of prejudice um, prejudice is expressed the effect it has on people's lives is stigma is stigmatization and it's right. the stigma that makes our lives difficult not our identities it's how it limits the what we can do freely do in the world and, well, um, that helps.
0: That helps with uh, a bit of understanding about mm-hmm. the whole thing. But um, now, uh, before we get back to the book, I got to ask yeah. this because you teach this in at a university. Mm-hmm. Um, is it common? Uh, do most universities have these programs? Um, I, I think most
2: universities have gender studies now. I don't know if they teach about you know drag or or um, you know queer culture or um i think most probably do nowadays Uh, i don't know about drag though it's it's a pretty small field in academics so we all know each other i I think i've
0: had one one other professor who taught uh taught about that kind of stuff Mm um uh, but uh, i haven't talked to so many people i don't really don't yeah. really but um it's just surprising to me that because what kind of degree if i if i'm going to get your class is a sociology degree Wait, what I'm, I'm an
2: anthropologist okay well so, yeah i teach but i mean lots of different fields teach about drag now i'm going really to have a certain perspective on it okay. because of my particular field is and what i'm interested in okay and that it brings me to this book
0: yeah that's what i want to talk about the book now well yeah. uh, if we can um because I just kind of briefly said it. it's about the difference between Miss America and the Miss D De- mm-hmm. Miss Miss America. Uh, is that the complete story behind this book or is there is um, there, a-
2: it's a little, that's, that's like the conceit. That's how I'm going to tell my story. What I want to tell. It is about the co-evolution of two pageants that were born in Atlantic city. The, obviously the iconic Miss America pageant from, 1929 uh, was the first contesting of the Miss America pageant, and the Missed America pageant, which is an homage, a drag homage to the Miss America pageant, which started being contested in 1991 on a, a um, the ga- in the neighborhood, what used to be the biggest neighborhood in the country in in Atlantic City on New York Avenue, and so and that it's about how these two pageants. Co-evolved, but also, it's about the impact that the queer community in Atlantic City had on the Miss America pageant, as well as on the city itself.
0: Okay, uh, can we talk about? Well, first of all, I have to say I never heard of the Miss uh, Miss Missed America. Well, you'll have to
2: come this year. It's it's <laughs> I don't li- I don't leave my house.
0: <laughs> I don't leave my house unless I'm – I really don't, uh, especially uh, with gas prices being is what they are. But, uh, uh, you know, if I go to a gig, that's where I go. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm pretty much a lonely – but I appreciate the invitation if I ever get out of my house.
1: You're always in
0: <laughs> Uh When is it?
2: It's September 24th this year, and we have an event, the 23rd, where – Um, some of the originals and the former winners actually do an event. And last year we had a huge reunion of the real originals, the, the, the first 10 years, um, who did a show. And this year, um, they're going to be doing a drag bingo event called Divas on the Boardwalk. Um, so that's going to be Friday night. It introduces our, our new contestants as well as paying, um, respect to our winners, our formers. Um, some yeah. of them who are really famous icons now in drag. Icons. okay. Yeah, and then the twenty third, the twenty fourth. Excuse me, the Saturday night. Um, it's contested at the Edis Arena in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino.
0: Okay. Now, impact. You said that impact on Miss America. In what way?
2: Oh well, I let me describe um, a little bit about how Miss America runs. I don't know how familiar people are, but Miss America is a volunteer nonprofit organization. So the people that always ran Miss America were people from Atlantic City. Everybody who lives here, their families were on the hostess committee or the parade committee or the, you know, various things. It was run by everybody on this island. Families go back generations passing down these roles to each other. Long after Miss America lost its luster in the rest of the country, it remained, you know, really, a, a you know, just the epitome of something that's worshiped here in Atlantic city until it moved to Las Vegas where like they betrayed us. Um, but even though the contestants would change every year, right? Um, everybody who worked the pageant was the same. So the hairdressers, the choreographers, the dressers, the makeup artists, blah, 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 blah. These are all gay guys. So every year they would come, they would be here for weeks, you know, preparing and they would be down on New York Avenue. So we have this four, I should talk a little bit about New York Avenue, New York Avenue in Atlantic city. on the boardwalk was New York Avenue was the center, but there was a four square block area where there was over 15 clubs. There were uh, countless rooming houses, restaurants, everything was gay. And it wasn't just gay people that went there to party. Everybody went there. I mean, if you talk to anybody, even from Philadelphia, um, this city obviously Washington. Even a lot of people from New York um, back, especially in the nineteen seventies, they all came here to party. It was twenty four hours, all day, all night, and it was a real scene. And so those guys would come after work, and they would just party. They they were friends with all the guys on New York Avenue, and all the Queens. And so you know some of that has there, there's a connection there. The second way or one of the ways that I talk about in the book that is probably the most iconic way that it has impact is one of the most famous and beloved um, aspects of the pageant now, which is the night before the pageant, they have what's called the Show Us Your Shoes Parade. Um, Now, this used to be what they called the Miss America Parade, where all the contestants would First, they would be on floats originally of their state, these big floats, and they would stand there in their evening gowns with their white gloves and go down the boardwalk and people would cheer. And then it, they sort of toned it down and just had them ride in convertibles. So you probably have that image in your head of the Miss America contestants in the back of a convertible waving with their white, the Miss America layers, <laughs> right, with their white gloves on. Well, on New York Avenue, on either side of the boardwalk, there are these two hotels They weren't hotels. They were, um, you know, places, places where people live, apartment houses with balconies that overlooked the ocean. And they were all gay men and drag queens, you know. So they used to sit on the balconies. That was where all the gay people gathered to watch the, the uh, parade and scream on the boardwalk. But these guys would be in the balconies. And they could see from the balcony that they weren't wearing any shoes. They had bedroom slippers on or socks because no one could see their feet.
1: <laughs>
2: so they're looking down and they start... What, what we now call shading them, you know, throwing shade on them. They'd be like, show us your shoes, honey. What's on your feet? Show us your shoes. <laughs> teasing them, right? Trying to unsettle them like they do each other, right? Because when you tease someone and you shade someone in queer culture, it, it says two things. It's like, I love you and don't take yourself too seriously now.
1: Wow.
2: So, so that's what, you know, that teasing is about, you know, and they And they would tell them, the Miss America organization, when you get to New York Avenue, you better watch. Don't be careful. Don't listen to them. They're going to try to... Un- You're a Miss America contestant. You have composure. Don't do anything. And this went on for about three years. And the chants... First, the chant started various. Then it became, show us your shoes. Then they made posters and T-shirts and clocks and banners and watches and hats. And everybody down the boardwalk started chanting it. And then at one one point, I don't remember who it was now, but they were coming down the boardwalk, one of the contestants, and they were at New York Avenue, and the queen started yelling, show us your shoes, and she threw her foot up in the air with her sock on it, and everybody went crazy. The next year, the Miss America pageant copywrote the term show us your shoes and created the show us your shoes parade, where the contestants now dress up in what can only be described as campy outfits commemorating their states. They call them whimsical, right? But they're funny. They're like over the top, crazy stuff. And they decorate their shoes over the top and they hold one leg up like this. Sorry, I don't have shoes on. Um, The whole entire parade route. And then the shoes are in a museum display and it's the one thing people pay to go see it at the Miss America pageant and now that's what they do. It's the most popular part of the pageant.
0: My mind goes in a, uh, a totally wrong place here because I'm thinking uh, I'm surprised uh, the uh, missed America people weren't pissed. Well, copyright means uh, I'm going to get I'm going to be the one making money well, off this thing that you came up with.
1: By the way, <laughs> people,
2: people are pissed and they could contest that and they would lose that copyright because it was mm-hmm. used before and there's tons of evidence for it. But if you go to their website or any printed document besides my book about this, you will never see that story. It's wow. like, oh, this whimsical family-friendly. So all those people that don't like Drag Queen Story Hour, just know the whimsical family-friendly, show us your shoes, the drag queens did that. <laughs>
0: Now, uh, just one comment on what you said, because yeah. you, you said show, show, uh, throwing shade on on, on people yeah. is a way of saying I love you and don't take yourself too seriously. Oh, yeah. That that's just proves that we're all the same, because straight men do that all the time. Yeah, and I mean, it means exactly so. the same thing. It means, yeah. you know, I love you, but don't take yourself too seriously. Well,
2: you know, guess who made it up, men. I mean, yeah. gay men are still men, right?
0: Yeah, right, right.
2: <laughs> just, you know, they're... You know, I always say about drag queens, they might be they might be dressed as women, but they're still men. You know, right. they still act like men. Right. You know, they're still going to boss you around. They're still right. going to, um, you know, take control. They're not going to take any crap from anybody. <laughs> they're going to get in fights. Right. <laughs> so so yeah, they're they're still part of men's culture. You know, they right. still act like men.
0: Right. And you you brought up the um, hairdressers and the makeup artists and all, mm-hmm. all. That's probably why that had a lot to do with me growing up about this stuff because uh my my 40s uh and into my 50s early 50s I worked in the hair and beauty industry and so was around those guys all the time mm-hmm. and and got to know them and fr- be friends with them and I think you know they they definitely made me less of a homophobe than I was born <laughs> that- but you know, so you know, maybe maybe experience that has a lot to do with that. We
2: can't, you know. I always say because I'm a, I teach embodiment and and uh, I always say you can't teach somebody empathy, right? You can teach somebody how to sympathize. You can teach somebody facts. You can make them more tolerant, right? right? You can make somebody sympathize. That often leads to pity, you know, like oh, poor. I feel bad for them they're being that's not understanding what it's being like in someone's skin right the only way the only way to learn empathy is having an experience that's embodied you know you worked in next to a chair with somebody for how many years and you shared this physical space with somebody in your body and that taught you something right yeah.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even next to a chair. Well, basically, I was on a lot of photo shoots, a lot of beauty pageants, a lot of uh, award ceremonies and things like that where, you know, it was pageantry. It was definitely pageantry.
2: And so you, you were there. You were physically present. In that space and that's that's how we learn those things you know
0: yeah but that's a profound thing that you just said you can't teach anybody empathy i think in a way you probably have to be born with the capacity for empathy uh or, or if you're not you're you're doomed to be a narcissist completely
2: yeah. I, I mean most of us I, you got it right i mean 99 percent of us are capable of empathy i believe you know i mean you hope. a personality <laughs> disorder personality disorders aside Right. But it, it's a it's a very difficult thing to to learn. You know, right. it entails that you put your physical self in an uncomfortable place for an extended period, enough time to learn, right? And sometimes that's an extended period of time. And you know, it's it's something that's not easily learned on purpose. You know, it often takes an ex- a, an unhappy experience or a you know a life changing experience to, to make somebody empathic. You know. Right. A, something that's very difficult for them to understand and i i get it you know i trust me i have my own difficulties with understanding certain people you know certain groups of people that i struggle with just like you you know you
0: too, every day still and it's not it's not based on any of those um uh really sh- shallow uh, characteristic points it's based usually based on behavior <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about that I don't yeah, want to get the again,
1: that's about
2: you having a certain experience that you won't you you know you haven't gotten rid of right you haven't changed your mind and sometimes we have those experiences and then we pull away going oh, i'm not doing that i that i made up my mind about that and so we lose our opportunity to to learn you know and um It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's
1: it's
0: it's it's definitely in order to learn, you have to want to learn. You can't, you're never going to learn anything unless you have a real sincere desire to have an open mind. Or
2: again, something very, very tragic happens to you. Right. Which I don't wish on anybody. It's better if you just want to (laughs) learn.
1: Right.
0: Right. So. So what, what was what compelled you to write this book? And and, and it's a kind of a two part question. What com, what compelled you to to write it? And were you hoping to make a significant change uh, on society uh, through opening some eyes with this book?
2: That's a great question. Um, what compelled me? Well, can I tell you a little bit? Because people don't know anthropologists do work a little differently than other scientists. So most people that are studying something they go into their experimental setting I'll call it with a thesis right a hypothesis maybe and they want to test it and they collect data based on that hypothesis anthropologists don't do that so we just like immerse ourselves into a place we call it the field right we immerse ourselves into a field um, a venue an environment a country a culture whatever it is we just throw ourselves in and we spend a lot of time there sometimes years and through our research, through our interacting with people, and, you know, it, and what we call it participant observation, we participate as much as is appropriate and observe, right? And we take note of all those things. And through that process, a thesis emerges, right? An idea emerges. And that's exactly what happened. And then we start studying it. Then we're like, hone in on it, you know, we start really digging into that. And other things sometimes change it because of that. But we don't, Stick to a thesis, right? We unless it keeps presenting itself. So what happened was, I was asked um, to be on the board that runs now runs the nonprofit board that now runs the Miss Miss America pageant. And I had been to the pageant, but I didn't really know about its workings. I had gone many many times, especially to the original ones before I had my kids and stopped doing everything. Um, now they're grown up, but um, I didn't go to many pageants in the middle because I was raising kids. Um, and I was asked to be on the board and, and when I was on the board, I was really immersed in this, in the, in the pageantry, like putting the pageant together. And I thought this, why isn't anybody, you know, I started thinking Miss America, Miss America, like this is interesting. And the more I thought about it, they thought, why isn't somebody written about this? This, somebody must've written about this and they hadn't. And I thought this is the most, literally the Miss America pageant is the pageant, the fi- the female pageant. That started all pageants. Every other pageant in the world, and they're all over the world now, is based on the Miss America pageant. That's how <laughs> iconic it is. And now, in the same city, we have this Miss America pageant that is—it literally um, was revolving around the Miss America pageant until it left for Las Vegas. Everything it did was revolved around Miss America, and I thought this is just such an interesting idea. And it started there, and the topics that or the themes that came out of that really presented themselves to me as I was just asking the question, how are these two pageants related and, and how did this happen? You know, that was basically my question. This is an open-ended question. And um, again, one of the things that surprised me, because I didn't really know anything about drag in particular academically when I started this project um, was that drag isn't about femininity. You know, it is about a critique of masculinity but, and also, it's about pointing out what how how women are stereotyped and restrained and judged. For example, I'll give you an example of this when i when I really realized this. Um, the guys are always reading or shading each other, right? Shading's a little different than reading. Reading's really what I was talking about before. Um, but the reason they're doing it, and it's often mean. You know, it can, it can go to the edge of being cool. Um, but usually what they talk about, what do they tease themselves about? What do they tease other people about? Oh, she's ugly. How they look. Oh, she's fat. Her body size. Right. Oh, or her. She's such a whore. She's been given, you know, blowjobs on the back to all these guys. What's the kind of stuff they say to each other
1: wow. <laughs> these
2: are exactly the kinds of things women get critiqued for. They're not out huh. how fat they are and their sexual behavior. Wow. And so it it's brilliant, really, what they're doing. They're pointing out how absurd that is. How absurd it is. You know, do they
0: realize that? Absolutely. Or is it intentional?
2: Absolutely. It is yes. intentional. It is intentional. Absolutely.
0: They've never are- had that conversation. And I've I've talked to some uh no, I have not talked to drag queens to be honest with you. I know two people who go to Fire Island but we've never talked about that experience. I uh, he me uh, the main guy I know sends me pictures but we've never talked about it. I've talked to transvestites, cross dressers or, or uh, I'm not even sure how to uh, and I've talked to trans people. But I've never talked to a drag queen.
2: And by the way, a trans a trans woman or a trans man can be a drag queen too. So yeah, they, but oh, I, like, the trans ones trans I know are. Yeah. <laughs> so, there are like we've had some great winners the the in the Missed America pageant that are trans women. Tanae Long, Icon,
0: Siri. That's interesting. You know talent. why that's in, in, interesting to me? Because there's so much uproar now about um trans people in sports competing. And I would think that a, a person who has lived their life as a woman now it became a you know trans woman. Uh, would have an advantage over men drag in drag because they they are, they are more of a woman than the man.
2: Me, let me just say this: I'm a woman, like born a woman. I'm a cis woman, and I would not win a pageant. You know, this, yeah. this, is, a, this is a performance. Like,
0: um, I think you probably could if you a if lot you into it. <laughs> no, if you if you set your mind to it and did you know under understood the drag part of it as and. I think being a real woman probably gives you an advantage. I
2: don't something. know. I mean, I you're you're not alone in arguing this. By the way, this is, <laughs> this, is a, this is a real debate, a legitimate debate. In okay, you're so
0: not crazy. Okay, I,
2: <laughs> I don't agree with that. Um, and more and more people aren't as more and more people get into drag because because the truth is, um, again, drag until RuPaul, drag was never about looking real. Looking real, realness. You might have heard that term. If you ever watch Pose or that, you know any of those shows um, that are on about ballroom. That's a ball. That's part of ballroom culture. That those are transgender women and men sometimes that are coming to show this the the non you know the straight world. I can be the perfect straight person, and you won't even know. I can look just like a woman, and you won't even know. That's a different. That has different origins, right? It, there's been a not a conflation, but sort of a blurring of those lines with RuPaul because of the um, the emphasis not not always, but on realness. It's going going back a little bit now because Ru is taking a lot more. Um, you know, contestants that don't that are more clown queens and you know, humor queens and queens that are campy than than she used to, right?
1: Yeah,
2: not- so very much this emphasis on looking real, but remember what I said in the beginning, they're not trying to look like women. No one thinks you're a woman when you have a 10-foot wig on, okay, and you know, eyelashes this long and you know, boobs out to here, and, and you know, a beard, even sometimes. No one thinks you're a woman. Right, and right. black queens now do have beards. You know, they're, yeah. they're, we call them gender queer. That's
0: queens. funny because my friend who goes to Miss Fire Island, I was showing his picture on the morning show, and, and first thing people because he he looks like me, but he's bigger than me. He's like seven inches taller than me or something. He's huge yeah. and a huge version of me, and and he's in a dress and, and a wig and everything. And people will say, but he didn't shave his mustache. <laughs> it doesn't his-
1: matter because that's <laughs> part of the spoof. You know,
2: right. part of the you know that that's camp.
0: Right,
2: I, you know, you can't describe camp, but to say again, it's a device that allows you to cope with the irony of your life right. when you're a gay person, what you have to go through, you know, and and so you just have fun with it, you know. So you have fun with I'm a man, I got a mustache, and I'm acting like a woman. You just have fun with it.
0: Right. Uh, RuPaul, RuPaul came up twice this morning. Uh, um, well, first time I think I mentioned him in in relation to a, I think it was MTV Awards. It might have been a Grammy Award or something where RuPaul threatened uh, or was threatening to Milton Berle as an old man and like uh, angry at him for mm. for what he did to the image of drag. Do you get that at all? Uh, I, the- I
2: don't. I don't know what what RuPaul said, and I don't. I don't know. Rue's position on that. But I imagine it's because he did what Rue considered bad drag. You know, he right. made, he it wasn't it wasn't quality that he took the art form and he diminished it is what I'm guessing without really knowing. Right. Or having him here. Yeah,
0: and, and it's vague in my memory, but I do remember that it, people were upset that he bullied an old man because Milton Berle was not in a position to even stand up for himself. Yeah, he was I, 90-something years old.
2: Well, I mean, Bruce made a number of mistakes.
0: Right. And that, that was the other thing that came up. Somebody was asking, How, he, has he been been around since before time, RuPaul? How old? Yeah, no,
2: he's, he's He's older than you think, but he has been around quite some time but
0: he's yeah. not old. he's younger than me i believe yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, i'm that was that was one point that came up like how how old is he anyway uh uh so with writing the book do you feel like um it has capacity to talk, to change people's minds or make them more open I mean, or does that does that matter to you um
2: yeah always matters to me whether i wrote this book or not right but I, I, th- I think I wrote it more for my community here in Atlantic City and to, to te- what, what um, I refer to this book and other things that I write as restorative histories. And what a restorative history, a lot of people say that means, oh, that's like you're adding like, you know, African-American history and women's history and, you know, you're adding this history on. And, you know, that's not correct. What restorative history is the history it just hasn't been told before. History is incomplete, right? right? So for example, the story they tell about the show us your shoes parade is wrong, right? So I'm just telling you the whole story. So mostly when I write, I write for the people that I study. I And that's one thing, if anybody's afraid to read this book because they're thinking it sounds really academic, I ethically will not write something unless the people I write about can read it. That is very important to me because I want them to have a document of their history, and I want the people in my community to learn about our history, and so that's really the people, the changing of minds is probably I was most concerned about my local community here in Atlantic City. Having said that, I do think it has, um, you know, sort of restive potential, you know, potential to maybe make people think about things, you know, um, especially women, a lot of feminists that think drag is misogynistic, you know, I... I don't believe that at all, especially since I've started working so deeply into the drag culture, you know, and I've continued to work in it. Um, I, I do not believe that. Are there individual drag artists that are, you know, don't like women and make fun of them? Sure. Like I said, they're they're everywhere, right? There's people like that everywhere, but that's not what drag is really about. And good drag is never about that, you know, the kind of drag people love. Um, yeah.
0: I, I am very, we, I'm a, we, we a very confused
2: I really love it. I mean, look at who goes to drag shows mostly now, straight women.
0: Really? Yeah.
2: They are the biggest audience at drag shows.
0: Really? That, that's party. that's like an interesting little factoid.
2: Bachelorette <laughs> parties, guess, guess what they're getting for bachelorette parties? Let's go yeah. to a drag brunch. You know, they love it. They love it because to them, they see it for what it is. The message is clear. You know, it's only the men that are nervous about it. I love when they drag their boyfriends to shows. That's my favorite. And always the the straight guy comes in with his girlfriend and, you know, immediately that drag artist is going to torture that guy because, you know, now it's his house, his rules, instead of me being, you know, them being always out there in the straight man's world, getting made fun of, bullied, beaten up, you know, so they're going to, They're going to do it in a funny way, but they're going to, they are going to go at that guy. They're going to embarrass him.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's a really confusing time to be alive because I, yeah, I think, (laughs) I think of women are always talking about being objectified. And then I think about beauty pageants and all of them are about objectification in Mm. some way, right?
2: Well, this is a great point because it's one of the points that I make in the book that. Drag pageants are not like that at all. So we're making fun of this objectification. So let me give an example of this. So in the Miss America pageant, I make the case that there are two categories. Um, There are categories that make women the object, right? So swimsuit and evening gown. Why is evening gown object? Well, when do you wear an evening gown? It's a sign. Does she have enough class?
1: Right.
2: Right. Does she, is she? proper enough. Is she genteel enough, right? Does she have manners? Cause women should have manners. Um, and then there's what I call women as subject and that's their talent. And when they have to talk about their platform and answer the interview questions, there's where they're talking about how smart they are, you know? So the Miss America pageant imitated these four categories. And, but whereas in the Miss America pageant, all the girls look the same. I mean, their bodies are pretty much the same. They're all wearing very similar things. They're all, you know, have to look the same, talk the same, act the same. And they'll even say that, like, if you say, "Oh, you know, who, you know, you guys are competing." Oh, you know, I'm just like everybody else. You know, I'm. They're all my friends. And oh my God, drag pageant is not like that at all. Okay, so th- if they're doing swimsuit, they're going to, you know, their swimsuit is not going to be something that you can wear in the water. They're gonna like they're going to try to stand out. They're going to wear crazy stuff. You know, um, you know, a, an octopus boa that's eight feet long. Maybe I'm first wore that once. Um, who, who was it that I'm trying to remember who it was that, um, that wore um, a Miss Piggy outfit. I mean, she was really fat and she was Piggy outfit and had Kermit the frog smashed, <laughs> kept her butt, smashed there like she'd sat on him. I mean, they're just hysterical. And then some of them are more like sexy. You know, they just do all different kinds of things. Same with evening gown, their talents, the same. It's all over the place. They don't feel any need to conform. In fact, it's the opposite, right? They are trying to stand out. They're trying to be individuals. They're trying to not be like the other girls in pageantry. And so, and it's, and they're dissing the other girls. (sighs) They're talking talking nasty about it. It's, it's, it's so in many ways, it's exactly the same on the surface, but underneath, it's has it's the opposite kind of a message. I and get he-
0: it, but um, I'm also curious, and I know we're over time, and I don't want to I, I, mm-hmm. belabor the point too much. But it would seem to me that the Miss America pageant doesn't get it, because it seems to me like what you're no. describing is they're making fun of, uh, of just how ridiculous the objectification is. In the Miss America pageant. And the Miss America pageant, it's... They don't. The
2: guys, the drag queens and the gay men here, they love the Miss America pageant. It's like their holy grail because they actually think those girls are doing the same thing they are. They think they're campy. And when <laughs> I go, do, I don't think they think that. They say, how about that girl with the talent that won with, like, you know, the red Solo Cups? You can't get campier than that.
0: Yeah.
2: Everybody <laughs> who votes for that's got to know it's camp. So they they relate to it very differently. But it's, you know, it's the same and it's not the same. They certainly admire them for getting up there in heels and walking around in a bathing suit. They know how hard that is. They can relate to that.
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, I think I learned something here tonight, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, but uh, maybe I will. Maybe it'll it'll hit me later on. I'm I often that way. Look. I, I, what. I, what yeah I will uh the book is available at Amazon there's a link in the description is there another place I should be sending them is there a website anywhere you
2: can get this book anywhere okay yeah Rutgers University Press might have a discount on it but yeah Amazon any books any bookseller will have it all right
0: well I appreciate you being here and 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 putting up with uh my um
2: no what a pleasure (laughs) thank you for having me
0: uh all right, well i appreciate you being here let me take the book down before i say goodbye here it's called drag queens and beauty queens and it's available at amazon there's a link in the description for people who are interested in it. uh professor laurie green it's been my pleasure to have you on the program thanks for being here and I you all- anytime. if you if you're so inclined or you have anything else that you want to talk about we're we're here for you
1: all right thank thanks. you for having me
0: bye for now Professor Laurie Green folks again the amazon link is in the uh description hope you uh enjoyed that discussion i hope hope i learned something but i hope you learned something too uh and again sometimes i'm a little slow i'm a, i'm not a quick man <laughs> so sometimes it takes a while for me for it to sink in with me my guest for tomorrow morning which is you know we generally have comedians musicians and filmmakers on on the morning show and it's a very light show tomorrow we had uh a Relationship coach on, and Kiara was looking forward to talking, uh, talking with with her, and uh, you know, picking her brain about some things. Unfortunately, uh, she came down with COVID and has had to cancel. So tomorrow, it'll just probably be me, Kiara, and one of any one of uh, several comedians who might join in uh, chime in log in uh for just another wasted friday morning but uh hopefully you'll join us and and have some fun so till then i'm matt napo for the mind dog tv podcast have a great rest of your night thanks for coming bye for now
1: To me now, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.